Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to The Booze Hustle. This week, I am joined again by my very beautiful and talented friend, Tawny Newsom, star of shows such as Star Trek Lower Decks, Space Force, and True Story on Netflix. And she's also my former co-host of the podcast series Drink Culture on Suboptimal Pods. It occurred to me as I was recording these episodes that you all have no idea who I am, so we thought it might be fun to do a little dive into my background in wine and spirits and how I got my start. Next week, we'll be back again with another awesome interview that I can't wait for you to hear. But for now, I hope you enjoy getting to spend a little time learning about me. Well, hello. Hello. <laughs> hello. I'm back. You are back. I, I very much appreciate you being back. Um, I'm slightly taking advantage of our, our friendship by making me be on my podcast. <laughs> no, I mean, I took advantage of our friendship by making you do a podcast in the first place before this one. So, you know, it all balances. No, I feel like I, I somehow finagled that podcast because I... I wanted to talk about booze and I was bored and I was like, I want to do something fun. Um, and uh, what Tani and I were talking about is we had a podcast called Drink Culture uh, that you could access um, on Tawny's podcast platform, streaming platform called Suboptimal Pods, um, where you can get access to um, Tawny's very, very wildly successful podcast called Yo, Is This Racist? Which is hilarious. <laughs> And um, Suboptimal Pods is where they have a bunch of their um, really fun content. It's kind of, you want to explain what you guys do there? You probably do better than me. Yeah. So we were actually, and it's Kevin too. I don't know how much Kevin is on mic in this show, but um, we share a, a, a lovely producer. And um, Kevin is like instrumental in, in Suboptimal Pods. So it's me and my co-host, Andrew T. Uh, we had had a podcast um, on a big network for a long time. And it was great while it lasted. And then, you know, like all things, I kind of feel like the big podcast networks are a little bit like uh, cable television or like network <laughs> TV where it's like, do you want to watch broadcast TV or do you want to just like look at the things that you want to on Hulu or whatever? Um, it's not a perfect analogy, but it definitely felt like our time at the network had run its course. And so we wanted just like a little bit more control creatively. We wanted to be able to take weird risks and not have to ask anybody's permission or explain to advertisers what we were doing. Mm -hmm. So we kept our regular show, which is free. Yo, is this racist? You can get it anywhere. You get pods every Wednesday. But then we uh, we built a little subscription-only site 
um, and basically just use that as a place to try stuff out. And one of those things was drink culture. Kristen was like, I want to talk about booze. And I was like, hey, I have a very low pressure way for you to do that. Uh, there's not <laughs> a ton of listeners and the listeners that are there are like some of our strongest supporters because they decided to pay <laughs> us every month. So yep. it's a warm it's a warm room. No, that's awesome. And and people are going to think that I have a, a serious problem that I wanted to talk about booze so much that we started a podcast. But like, <laughs> I, I'll preface by saying I know a lot about booze. And I it's one thing I'm a subject matter expert on that I could talk about without feeling like a complete fraud. So um, it wasn't that I just wanted to sit and talk about booze all day. Yeah. But, yeah. But Wait, did, now um, you're allowed to use the word expert? Okay, no. No, subject you matter are, expert. <laughs> okay, this is a debate. Uh, tomato, tomato. Debate. It's. It, I look, said I'm, subject I'm happy matter to, expert. <laughs> I'm happy to use whatever language you're comfortable with. I just need to know because I got us in trouble in wine country by calling you that. And then a man leading a tasting got very combative with her as a result. <laughs> so that was my fault. But he, he was very triggered by me calling her an expert. But she is. <laughs> Okay, it's layered though. It's layered. Okay, I'm I I guess my comfortability with the word expert is using it like I'm a subject matter expert because that's less um I don't know, less uh what's the word I'm looking for? It gets <laughs> like b- boomery dudes less mad at you. <laughs> yeah, I guess because you you call yourself a wine expert. Like I feel like there's a larger connotation to that because there are like master psalms in the world. There are people that are masters of wine and that I am not. I mean, I'm on my trajectory in my education to have certifications along those lines. But I think when you say expert, that's the expectation of wine expert. But a subject matter expert, man, I can know a lot about dirt and say, I am a subject matter expert on dirt and no one's really going to question me as much. I don't know. Okay. My splitting hairs. (laughs) Maybe not within the industry. I think that's one of the things that's interesting about you and like this show is that stuff like that probably, if I was in your business, I'd probably be like, oh yeah, I totally get the distinction. But for me, I'm like, you know way more about wine than any, look, at that wine tasting where the man got combative, you knew more about wine than everyone there, including him. So (laughs) I I call that an expert because that man was entrusted with taking our $75 a person and attempting to tell us things. Oh my God. That was the funniest experience. I'm not going to say where it was, but we were in Napa in a really famous tasting room, like famous winery tasting room. (laughs) The tasting room is maybe not as famous as the actual winery. But um, the the gentleman that was working there, and listen, wineries have been short-staffed because of COVID. So they probably had on like the C-plus team, wasn't their A-plus guy. Um, And we were not drunk. We were not being assholes. This was our first appointment of the day. I just was trying to keep this man from over-educating her. Because also, (sighs) Kristen, you look young. You're a woman. I've watched it our whole friendship. I've watched men talk down to you about things that you know a lot about. So I was Mm. trying to spare you the like, hey, I actually know this. So I was like, oh, I'll do it for her. And it went <laughs> poorly. Yeah, Tani's like, oh, she, oh, she's a wine expert or something like that. And the guy <laughs> shot daggers out of his eyes across the table at me so hard. He's like, well, everyone's an expert. And I was like, oh, God. Yeah. And then I he had the opportunity. Like yes, he did. And I had the opportunity later in our visit to also throw Tawny under the bus when he was like, so what does everyone do for a living? And he looked at Tawny and I was like, ooh, 
I'm just going to say Netflix and throw you right under the bus. But I didn't. I didn't. I kept it shut. No, you, you were didn't. very classy. It was great. See, because m- mine wasn't filled with malice. Yours, <laughs> yours would have been filled with malice. Um, I don't know what I say in those situations. Normally, I'm just like real estate or whatever, and then people don't have any questions. Yeah, you were like, I'm a writer. And he's like, oh, another one of those. <laughs> like, yeah, that's good, too. I'll take that, too. I'll take an eye roll over what have I seen you in any day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, um, okay, so I guess we'll, we've will we landed on subject matter expert is fine. Um, okay. But um, we were talking about drink culture. We did like six episodes and those were um, all very fun. So if you like this podcast, um, definitely go check out those, check out the deep cuts where we laugh about things like um, the names of cocktails and um, yeah. history of cocktails and such. Um, but I asked Tawny on here today because... I realized after interviewing so many really cool people this season that um, you guys have no idea who I am. Not that you need to. Who am I? I'm no one important. But it might be fun to like learn a little bit about me. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, talking with one of your dear friends usually uh, is a way to pull that information out. So I asked Tony to be here and I don't know, pretend to be me for an episode. Yeah. So I'm curious, what have you kind of divulged to people about yourself? I assume they know that you're a subject matter expert, that you work in the industry, that, <laughs> yep. uh, yeah, I, I assume they know those things, but do they know like how you got started? I, I think I've talked a lot about my restaurant background. There's some things that have to remain shrouded in mystery per uh, contractual <laughs> obligations for my employer. I, I don't ever say where I work now, but I can say what I do. So I work for a supplier. I work for Build-A-Bear. <laughs> People are going to be like, is she in the CIA? What is going on? <laughs> if you don't that. confirm or deny, I'm just going to push the Build-A-Bear rumor. <laughs> Build-A-Booze is my oh, yeah. franchise. Um, no, but um, so I work for a very large wine and spirit supplier currently. And I sell, I work in kind of a sales capacity, education capacity. Um, but I actually started um where did I start? I don't even know. I've had a, to be honest, I wrote down just for shits and giggles the other day, how many jobs I've had. And I was trying to just figure out all of my employers. And I, I stopped counting at 38. It's just a lot. Wow. It's a lot. Wow. Yeah. Um, but that I, is so I, many. So y- you've covered like uh, how you got into it. Did you talk about your corporate concierge life no. at all? No, I have not. I had a brief stint in Chicago um, as a uh, corporate concierge, which is as pretentious as it sounds. So instead of being like the hotel concierge that's like, where would you like to eat tonight, sir? I literally would sit in a cold, dark office lobby <laughs> desk <laughs> in, in the hopes that someone that works there will ask me a question in the eight hours. <laughs> it's so stupid. And gift wrap. I did gift wrap as well. You did a lot of gift wrapping. You did a lot of gift wrapping. You made a lot of yeah. reservations. But what that meant was that you got cool discounts on meals and stuff. And you got reservations to tough to get into restaurants. And I got to go with you sometimes. So that was yeah. kind of my first foray into the food scene in Chicago and by extension, the wine and beverage scene. I can't believe I forgot that. You know, what's funny is I think I bribed friends with free meals because I was like, uh, you know, I moved to Chicago in my early 20s and I worked in a lot of restaurants and I went back to college there. And when I got this corporate concierge job, I was still very um, in the like throes of not having a lot of money. And like, mm. uh, you know, this job meant I could call a restaurant and be like, oh, I'd like to come in for dinner. I work as a concierge. And they would literally comp your meal like 
one hundred percent. We would just leave a tip. So I think I I try to impress people, <laughs> like, like yeah, like Toddy. Be like Toddy, be my friend. We can go eat here for free. <laughs> it well, it worked, and I remembered. Um, this was the first time I'd experienced like chefs and beverage directors coming by the table just to like chit chat and talk yeah. about the food and the and the drinks or not, just to like talk about life and stuff. But I, I think I got a little bit of an education just from going with you and hearing directly from the people making the things we were consuming. It's so mm-hmm. it's so different than when you have like a server, even when a server is really great at at educating, you know, they're busy, they're running around, they're not, mm-hmm. you know, they may not have time to uh, devote to just chatting with you. But these people wanted to impress you. So we get, we're like, you know, 24 years old or something. We got the chef sitting down next to us yeah. talking about his dish. Yeah, cool. and oh, I remember that. That was that that restaurant in um, I don't even remember. It was like near Division Street. You we went to it was like a country, like a Southern style restaurant, and the guy kind of held us hostage there after close for a while, uh, with with, yeah. with food and drinks. I don't even remember where that was, but yeah, there were a lot of those opportunities, and I honestly think that that experience, going from kind of just working in random bars to actually having an opportunity to talk to chefs and beverage program people. Um, made me want to kind of, I don't know, explore more of like that fine dining path. And then I started working at that wine bar in Roscoe Village, um, yep. which shout out to Volo in Roscoe Village, which is still open. Great wine bar. Mm-hmm. Amazing. The chef, his name is Stephen Dunn. The food's incredible. And when I worked there, there was a guy who has a, I think he has a wine shop now in a, um, like northern part of Chicago in, in like Augusta area uh, on mm-hmm. Augusta. But his name was Shad with an S. And mm-hmm. he would wear like Led Zeppelin t-shirts and, uh, you know, with his shirt, work shirt over it. And he he was so like normal. Every wine person I met up to that point was so, I don't know, they had this air about him. I've talked about it in this podcast before. Like wine professionals sometimes make it so that people feel like it's above them. You know, like they, mm-hmm. it's like a little too pretentious or something. But this dude, he would come in stoned. He'd be like, hey, what's up, man? You want to learn about Albarino? <laughs> Let's talk about Zweigelt. You ever, you ever had a Zweigelt before? And I was like, no, I want to learn all about Zweigelt. And that's totally where I was like, I want to learn about wine because this guy made it easy for me to learn about wine. And I didn't feel stupid not knowing stuff. I loved that place. I should- I loved it too. I should also say, in case you have any like super young listeners, this this was the mid aughts. So I think that you know this this type of a character might sound kind of like uh, common now. Like you go in any wine bar in Williamsburg True. or something, and you can find a million of these dudes. Um, in the mid aughts in Chicago, that was not the case at all. So this mm. the, the whole bar itself was a little bit of a outlier in a very yeah. cool way. Um, totally. I remember the homie Dean. Dean Berdusis, who was also a photographer, he took my headshots. Oh, my God. Yeah. He was a cool dude. So it was just full of, like, nice men who were in no way being creepy to us. Got to put that out there. Um, totally. They were quite a bit older than us. But n- nice men who just wanted to chat with the locals. I lived in the neighborhood at the time. And I don't think I learned as much about wine as you did because I would just kind of show up at the end of your shift and just, mm. like, Cookie Monster, just <laughs> inhale all the detritus <laughs> at the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, what's in this All glass? The- Doesn't matter. <laughs> what's at the end of this bottle? What? You got to throw that out because it's bubbles? Great. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. I, um, I, you know, also the guy that owns Volo still owns it today. His name is John Young. I give him a cool. lot of credit because when I 
started working there, um, he interviewed me and he said, um, do you know a lot about wine? And I was like, yeah, you know, the normal yeah. amount. And he's like, can you name five grapes? <laughs> five grapes? Like, uh, uh, I think I named uh, three. Red, green, uh, <laughs> seedless. And then he's like, and I know this is going to sound like he was talking down to me, but he really was like, okay, so you got to go get wine for dummies and read it and then come in with an open mind. And I did. And I, I totally yeah. like now looking back, I was like, she, you know what? You're totally right, Tony. Those, to, those situations now are pretty common. There's a lot of people that want to educate you. But back then it was like, no, it was just like people trying to fill pe- like voids behind a bar and get people on the floor. And yeah. it wasn't as much of an education um, so yeah, no, my, my wine journey, I think really started at Volo. Um, and you know, then I got into fine dining a bit and, um, managing restaurants where all of a sudden I, I realized that I really wanted to make half of the amount of money. <laughs> 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 I went from bartending and you serving like, and oh, making no, this money. Is too much money. I simply cannot. <laughs> I gotta, I must make less or else I won't respect myself. Yeah. I'm dying to make less money and work four times as hard. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so we, uh, I, I started, um, managing restaurants, uh, which, ugh, man, I mean, I'm glad I did it, but wow, what a, what a journey, uh, managing restaurants was for such little amounts of money. Um, and I ended up my, my, the restaurant that broke me was, um, girl and the goat in the West loop. Yeah. Love Stephanie. Love Early on too. Like the, right yeah. when it opened, you were the first woman manager. Maybe, yeah, I was. Yeah, I think they were open a year, and I don't know if they had any women there at that point. But it was um, it was a really cool restaurant, and it was the type of place where you go in, uh, you ask a server a question, they can tell you every single ingredient to every mm-hmm. single dish to every single cocktail, and and like. It just blew my mind. I loved working there, but I, I, man, it burned me out so fast. And was, not a small menu either. So that was like particularly, and I remember like, I think it's still the case there. It wasn't it that, uh, didn't she advertise that anyone with any dietary restriction yeah. could come there and they would accommodate yep. literally anything. So people were coming from all over the country yeah. to do their full like autoimmune protocol, no nightshade, no legume, <laughs> no, you know, like and yeah. that and they would do it. That was a trip. Um, so being like, I was like a front of house manager, right? So I'd look at the reservations at the night, and there would always be like a note box, and there'd be these slips like no peppers, no garlic, no tomatoes, no dairy, no wheat, no legumes. <laughs> and I'd bring them to mm-hmm. the kitchen, expecting her to be like, "What is this?" And she'd just be like, "All right, well, uh, we're gonna make this for this person." I'd be like, "Damn." Talk about friggin' hospitality, man. She was she was incredible. I loved working there. Yeah. Um, but it but it but it was short lived. I couldn't I don't know. I was in my late twenties at that point. I was just it was over it, you know. Couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. Um when you so the restaurant that's the restaurant that broke you. I mean, what a what a way to go out. Like <laughs> it's still an iconic the the LA girl and the goat just opened, not just, it opened like six months ago or eight months ago at this point. And it's still hard to get a reservation. Dang. COVID, of course, limited capacity and all that. But I know people, it was so wild. I was texting with a friend in November and he has never lived in Chicago before. And he texts the group and he's like, guys, you'll never believe it. 
I got a res at Girl in the Goat. See you all there, <laughs> blah, blah. And I was like, oh my God, it's 2008 all over again. I've fallen into a time <laughs> portal. <laughs> oh my Someone God. Someone's saying, you'll never believe where I got a res. I'm like, oh my gosh, I've been transported. Um, it was amazing. You used to live like right down the street from there too. Across the street, yeah. Yeah, you were like right there. I, I feel like um that point in my life, I was a little bit lost. I mean, I'm, I know I was lost for sure. Cause like I was in my late twenties, at that point, and I had gone to college in in um, Chicago for journalism, and was just disillusioned with the amount of money I had spent on <laughs> college. And I was working in restaurants, and I was making no money managing restaurants. And I was like, I feel like I was really floundering there for a while. Um, mm-hmm. And then you know, and I, I like you know, I did the thing that you do when you feel like you're floundering, which is you just like relocate. <laughs> yeah, flounder in a new city. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Is that what you're calling what you did when you went to Connecticut? Yeah. So I met my husband. Um, I met my husband on the Facebook, believe it or not, which which Tony already knows, but it's still wild to me. Um, because Facebook is <laughs> such garbage. But um, but yeah, no, I, I knew of his family and he knew of my family. So it wasn't just like a random like Tinder moment. But um, we were talking on Facebook and we were dating long distance uh, through, you know, just calling each other and stuff. And I just ended up being like, I'm moving to Connecticut. This dude said I can live with him. <laughs> and he was like, oh, okay, she's lost her fucking mind. <laughs> this dude said I could live with him is like... <laughs> A very funny way to put that. <laughs> I'm like, well, I bet you I can find know. a I... lot of dudes who would allow you to live with them <laughs> if that's the only criteria. Well, to be fair, um, so the people listening don't think I'm nuts. My family lived on the East Coast already, so I was kind of just going back to my family um, yeah. and then to this cute dude that I was dating who ended up becoming my husband. So, um, yeah, so moved back to Connecticut, and then I became a uh, wine distributor, which is a whole other whole other I chapter. still don't understand the difference because you I remember at the time you were excited about that job because you were excited to work in in the beverage industry because I think you wanted to learn more about it but you didn't want to be in restaurant you didn't want to be like directly serving people um mm-hmm. w- I don't understand the difference between a distributor and the place you are now to me they're both the big place that the stores <laughs> buy the wine from <laughs> well I mean you're not wrong when you say it like that um, <laughs> I'm not trying to be dismissive. I'm literally just like, okay, so I get the wine from the store. The store gets the wine from a big place. The big place yeah. gets it from the wineries. <laughs> yep. Well, we're, okay, so where I where I work now is like the winery. Like I represent the winery and the distillery. So oh. I supply the product from the winery and distillery to the wholesaler. So the distributor is a wholesale distributor. So in the oh. U.S., depending on what state you're in, there's a three-tier system. So it's supplier, distributor, retail. So mm-hmm. um, in some states, they're control states, and the, gov- the the state actually controls all the booze, but that's a whole other level of complicated. Um, but no, so the distributor is um, the supplier sells product to the distributor locally, and then the locally the distributors go out to every restaurant and every retail um, store yep. in the state and sell. So... Yeah, no, so I worked as a wholesale distributor distributor for a um, fine wine craft spirit distributor for eight years. Um, mm. And I have I was talking about this with Catherine Spires um, about what a challenge being a woman in that business is because it's... I'm sure, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a lot of men. Um, 
store owners and distributors. There's not as many women. Um, mm-hmm. I think m- mostly because women are too smart to deal with the, the nonsense. And I'm, I come from the restaurant business where I'm already used to dealing with the nonsense. So um, mm-hmm. it was a nice transition. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so no that's peppers, where I no really manners. Up- <laughs> when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You know what's weird about that job, too? Um, and I don't know if it's like this in every state, but um, it's the only job I've ever had where you walk in and ask for a check to be paid and then try to make them buy more stuff in the same time. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. like That's like Mary Kay shit. <laughs> it's totally like Mary Kay. Like, D- Den- Denise, I know you really want this shade, but you still owe me twelve fifty for the <laughs> lip balm I sold you last week. No, this is like, wow. I walk into a store that is one of my customers and they owe us a check for $3,000 and maybe they're a little late and I gotta, I gotta get them to pay me that check. And then I'm like, and mm-hmm. while I'm here, I saw you need another $2,000 worth of things. It's, it's wild. Wow. Wild. That is wild. But I mean, that's how, you yeah. know, where else are they getting their stuff? They need you. That's true. That's true. Um, it's they just a little antagonistic folks. if they don't have the money to pay for things, but you're still trying to sell right. them more things. But yep. So I did that right. for a while. And then, um, you know, I continue my nerddom by um yeah because i was gonna say that doesn't sound like that environment led to much uh education either 
it, it doesn't sound like those people are super excited to like learn about the product all the time. I'm sure you had some store owners that were, but how did you factor in your like w- wanting to, yeah, just wanting to like educate yourself more or educate people about booze? Yeah. Well, the state that I'm in now is very competitive because there's like 200 distributors here. So if you're going to become a subject matter expert that a, <laughs> that a customer will buy from, right, because you have so much competition, you have to know more than everybody else or at least pretend like mm. you do or at least have the the talking points. So um, the one I worked for was very like fine wine specific. So I'm mm-hmm. I'm going into some of the you know, the best restaurants or country clubs, and I'm bringing these wines that are incredible. We're talking about like, you know, first growth Bordeaux or like, you know, we're talking about crew wines or we're talking about Krug champagne or, you know, these are wines that you have to, you can't just like memorize some things and then go in and talk to them because the customers Mm. often are more um, educated than you because they sell Mm -hmm. wine for a living. So if you don't have their level of education or more, they usually mm-hmm. just don't take you seriously. Um, so I had to I had to really like hit the books and start, um, you know, really. I, I hate to say that having certifications makes you more qualified because it doesn't. It's just, you know, a lot of people can pass a test. But the studying process is what gets your your skills and your knowledge up. So just by going mm-hmm. through the, you know, like doing like Court of Master Som or WSET, which is the wine equivalent of Court of Master Som. Mm-hmm. And doing all those levels, it's the studying that you're really that's that's what I'm going after. Like the certification is fine, but nobody cares about that. But right. spending however many months or in my case, year studying for something is really what's like, I don't know, bringing my level, my skill level up, up a mm-hmm. degree. Yeah. Tony can attest. We went on a trip and I studied the entire time. <laughs> no. And then you passed. I did. Barely. I, I thought I failed that for sure. <laughs> Um, it was the hardest test I've ever taken in my life. Wow. Yeah. And I think um, I think I'm going to do the spirits one this year because obviously I don't hate myself enough. So I'm just going to um, pile on. Yeah. Um, have you ever wanted to open your own bar or wine store even or just have your own little space where you can talk directly to the to the public? I don't know. I feel like I at this point. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Yeah, I don't want to do that either. Great. (laughs) No, no. I mean, the dream, right? Like everybody has this dream. They'd like to have their own restaurant or, but the, Mm -hmm. but the truth is, um, uh, shout out to restaurant owners. It is Mm. a thankless, impossible job in the climate that we're in now too, because you think of it this way, the, the way in this country, the, um, service industry is structured the margins for owners are so small and that they can't pay people appropriately. Mm-hmm. And the people that work there are not paid appropriately. So it's it's this whole, um, we've come to just understand everything as it is. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that that's how it should be. I, I think we should go to a more European um, way towards approaching service, but like a little bit more elevated. Um, because like service Mm -hmm. industry, people don't make a ton of money. They don't have any health benefits. Usually the people managing the restaurants are the only ones with health insurance. Mm -hmm. Owners nine times out of 10 cannot afford their own health insurance (laughs) for themselves, you know, and, and they're, um, they're just trying to make money. It's so hard to make money. It's so strange because the, you know, and then I'm like, well, where, what's, what's breaking down? Because especially in Los Angeles, so often you go out to a meal that is 
so, so wildly overpriced. And all I can think is like, I just hope these service people are being paid well, at least if I'm buying this stupidly expensive meal that was just like fine. So is it all just going to real estate? Probably here. I think, well, now, I mean, the supply chain issues, everything is insanely expensive. If you talk to a restaurant owner today about like um, them buying Mm. uh, oil for the kitchen, it is not doubled. It is quadrupled in the last six months to a year. Wow. So that's eating their margins. In normal times, um, the margins are small. Now they're impossible. So, yeah. I mean, I'm not trying to bum everyone out. Just tip your tip your bartenders and your servers a lot because they're they're out there working. But then also, like, um, you know, people always ask, like, how they can support local um, restaurant owners. It's like, buy gift mm-hmm. certificates. Just buy them. Like, if you don't want to go out to eat, just buy gift certificates. Give them to people mm-hmm. um, because the dollars, the dollars are helpful. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, once upon a time, I wanted to open a restaurant just like Bolo, like mm-hmm. in, in Roscoe Village, just cute little small plates and amazing wine list. But I don't know. I don't want to. I'm getting old. I don't want the hours. <laughs> I would. The only way I would want that. And you guys can call me an elitist if you want. I don't give a damn. The only way I'd want that is if it was just a place for people I knew to come. I don't want any strangers. I'm not serving strangers because <laughs> they scare me. Tony, that's called a VFW. <laughs> Okay, but I don't want them to have to have served in the military. Like, you can come here if you were just like a podcaster. (laughs) You need to open your own version of a a VFW, but like a podcaster drink club. (laughs) Oh, this sounds awful already. Never mind. Never mind. I need to really narrow down what I mean by people I know. People I like. I guess that's just my house. There we go. Phew. The list is smaller. Yeah, it, it does get it does get smaller, but yeah, that's that's amazing. I could see opening like a little wine shop though. Um, <sighs> but then if if one person gets too drunk and is out of hand and like makes me nervous, I'm gonna burn the whole place to the ground. I'm gonna be like, I can't do in this. a wine shop. What do you mean? Uh, people get drunk everywhere. How are they getting Girl, out of hand came, in your shop? We came up in Chicago. Oh, you said a shop. I was thinking like a restaurant, like a shop. So you can't drink in the shop. <laughs> No. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, you could do like a wine tasting. <laughs> well, we got to shut it down. Oh, you're talking after about like, like a wine minutes. bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't have a bar. <laughs> I can't have anyone get out of control. No. No. Although we'd be fine. We've handled it in our sleep. We, we. First of all, you worked at the Funky Buddha Lounge. Like, you know, I know. People got out of hand there. They did. Those days are behind me. Those <laughs> days are behind me. Trying to reason with a drunk woman to take her purse out of the toilet. That is behind me. <laughs> But I spilled on it. Well, ma'am, now it's covered in piss. You have not you have not elevated your situation. Please leave the bar. Oh my God. We worked in some pretty bad places. We were what's the name? I always forget the name of the bar we worked at that um our friend Michael managed. Oh, Le, Le Pomme Rouge. Le Pomme Rouge, the red apple. You which know was, some shit in Chicago is ratchet when it's like fake French. <laughs> A fake French nightclub. Bad. But Michael Jordan went there oh. once. That's all I remember. Oh, that's I we I talked about Michael Jordan on a a, a couple one of my other episodes. I have, I interviewed someone who works for that restaurant group, um, mm. and we were talking off off mic, so I can't really share the actual story about Michael Jordan in Chicago stories. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, I'm sure there are many. I don't have there any are GCT. Many. He just came on a Tuesday and ordered a magnum bottle of champagne with him and his two friends. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't R. Kelly used to hang out there too? That I don't remember. I feel like I would have been like, "What? Get 
me out of here. I feel I like R. Kelly was like part owner of La Palme Rouge or something. Oh, maybe. I know that it was part owned by, um, maybe this is telling tales out of school, by uh, Robin Robinson, the, the news anchor, the Chicago news oh. anchor. Oh, I don't know. We've gotten some deep dive in here. I don't know. I know. <laughs> this is the most niche shit. Mid-aughts <laughs> Chicago restaurateurs is like... <laughs> Can I can I tell a story about the night we met though? Because I feel like that's really a really funny story and, and it's booze related, of course. But we met at La Palme Rouge, our friend Michael, um, in the West Loop. I don't even remember where it was, but it was a nightclub, and I was a concierge and I was trying to pitch this restaurant on giving me free stuff, probably. Um, <laughs> and I made friends with Michael, <laughs> who is friends with Tawny, and um, I somehow agreed to pick up shifts there. I don't even know how that happened. Yeah, but you were trying to night, get them to give you meals, and then you ended up getting a job. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wasn't good at my job. I just. Like, but like, this is during, and we talked about this on an episode of Drink Culture. This was during that phase of yours where instead of waiting in line at nightclubs, you would just get a gig where you'd work like two shifts a month there. <laughs> So that you could then be an employee and then get in like quickly and drink for free. That is 100% accurate. I'd be like, the line here is long. Hold on. Walk up to the front. Excuse me. I'm here to fill out an application. Yeah. (laughs) And you're like, boom. Now I got to get a job. I got in. I showed you. (laughs) Now I'm employed here. That's one of my favorite things. Anyway, so. No, it's okay. So we met, we met um, because I was supposed to hang out with Michael one night outside of La Palme Rouge. And uh, he's like, oh, I'm bringing a friend. And I was like, cool. So Tawny and I met, we went out um, on a little drinking escapade um, that I don't even remember where we went, but it was one of those nights in Chicago where you're drinking with friends where the night becomes just a big blur. We ended up at a nightclub called White Lotus. Stone Lotus. Stone Lotus. You called it White Lotus because the clientele was exclusively white. I'm not even joking. (laughs) It was especially such a shock coming from the places that we worked and hung out at that were much more blended or leaned more brown and black to go somewhere that was so starkly. It was this River North house club with like kind of go-go-ish dancers standing on boxes but everyone was very very white it was very strange yeah I totally you're right I forgot about the go-go dancers that's so weird um yeah so we got there and um none of us really had any money to our names but Michael for whatever reason decided he wanted to get an entire bottle of vodka so -hmm. we could get bottle service Mm -hmm. and um that's what I was like I night of bar hopping And I was like, I can't afford this. And I'm pretty sure you said the same thing. And he's like, I got it. Mm-hmm. So in the moment, we're like, okay, he's buying it. And I proceeded to get so drunk that mm-hmm. at, when the bill came and I saw how much it was, even though I'd already said that I had no part in in paying for it, I started to cry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because I was so embarrassed. Oh, it was bad. Well, and, and- I ran out of there. <laughs> As it turned out, I don't know if he did have the money to pay for it. I've known Michael since we were children, and w- we used to always like overextend our ourselves and our lines of credit for stupid nights out. But look, if I learned anything from watching Inventing Anna, you never go on a trip <laughs> or for a meal that you could not afford if all went south. Just because someone else says they're mm-hmm. paying, if you can't afford it yourself, do not accept. There's nothing free. Mm-hmm. 
I know. And I think I just had such guilt because I was so entrenched in the restaurant business that I was so used to paying all the time or sure. tipping really well. And I, I just, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm surprised Tony was my friend after that day because I literally started crying, which is not a me thing to do. <laughs> I just like ball, started bawling my eyes out and then I ran out of there and got into a cab. <laughs> There was a woman Bye. standing directly over us on one of those boxes in a furry bikini and furry <laughs> Ugg boots, just dancing to some watered down ass like jungle house music. It was a weird place. Yep. It was a weird night. Yeah. Well, I got a friend out of it. So that's that's good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, bar, the bar was pretty low. <laughs> yeah. From that point on. Oh, man. But, yeah. yeah. And then we then we worked at that that fake French bar for a while, which was, you know, it, it gave us some money. What fake French bar? Oh, I was just talking about La Palme Rouge still. Oh, I was like, is there another fake French bar? I'm sure there was. It's No, possible. I mean, you worked at that fake yeah. English bar and then I worked at that fake Irish bar. There's a lot of fake. Yep, there was fake Irish and English bars. I worked at Wild. Oh my God, I worked at Blue Chicago. Remember that Blues Club for like six years? Yeah, that one's, and I didn't know you then. I think this was before because that mm. that place is like iconic. That That's a good, that's a good one to have on the old resume, yeah. the old CV. I know. And you, you ever know how I got, how I got canned from working there? Did I ever tell you this mm. story? No. It's so sad because that was literally my, probably one of my favorite jobs in Chicago is this iconic Blues Club um, they had two locations just like in the center of Chicago and I was a cocktail waitress there. Um, and it was incredible because you go to work, but you listen to incredible music all night. It's just the best kind of job because um, even if it's slow and you don't make any money, you get to see this free show and it's always amazing. But anyways, um, I requested a night off because I got tickets to go see the police mm-hmm. and the bar manager this is how bar managers are. Couldn't find anyone to cover my shift. So it was like, well, you have to work or you don't have a job. So I lost my job to go see the police. To go see the police. Wow. I, I mean, know. Was it, it was worth a great it? show though. Yeah, it really okay. was. It was a great, it was a great show. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> then there you go. Look, yeah. What's, uh, what's next for you, Kristen? I hate when people <laughs> ask me that in an, aud- in an interview. I'm like, I don't know. I know. Um, Call Netflix. Ask them. I don't know the answer to that. (laughs) Well, what am I working on now? Let's see. So right now I'm working on interviewing uh, or getting more guests for next season. I guess this is a really good place to point out that this is not going to be a weekly podcast. For those of you who haven't figured that out, I have a full-time job. So we're doing, um, I think, 11 or 12 episodes. And we're going to take a break for... Um, I don't know, a couple months maybe. And then we'll start recording episodes again in the fall. So it'll be kind of a series that comes out periodically. Seasons, and cute. Seasons, yeah. And um, so I'm really working on getting some cool people lined up for next season. I had a couple of people reach out to me, which is very nice. cool. Yep. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully we can continue to get um, really interesting people on here that want to talk about their experiences in wine and spirits. And then I'll be knee deep mm-hmm. in studying for my level three W set spirits exam next year. Hell yeah. Yeah. It'll be fun. Just in time for you to be my winemaker when I plant my weirdo desert grapes and make my yes. weird desert moonshine wine. Cause it might not even be able to be called wine, depending on no, how it's gonna be grow wine. I've here. already sta- I've already started doing like homework on this for you. 
It is possible. It might just be swill. It might just be like bathtub swill made out of grapes, which I'm fine with. Or as John Malkovich says, hand sanitizer. Yeah, we might just make hand sanitizer, <laughs> but we'll have pretty vines dotting the hillside. Yeah, well, there's there's opportunity there. So maybe in the future, I'll be Tawny's um, winemaker uh, for desert wine. And um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'll be here um, doing more episodes of Booze Hustle. So thank you so much for coming on again. Um, this is a lot of fun. Any opportunity thank you for I can, me. yeah, any opportunity I can get you on here to like see your face is a joy. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Bye. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 